Hey you, want to listen to an interview with the original go-giver Bob Berg? Of course you do, because people like us do things like this. Hello and welcome. My name's Neil Humphrey and this is People Like Us Do Things Like This. It's a brand new podcast and I'm recording it using Anchor straight to my phone. What a handy little app that is. So the idea behind it came from an email from Seth Godin talking about culture. And I've, you know, I'll be honest, I've been a little bit lost. I've been looking for my people and I thought, what a great way to start the ball rolling in finding my people and saying, what would people like us do? Like, how would they do things? How would they approach things? What sort of things would they be interested in learning, exploring, finding out, doing, in fact? So that's what I called it, People Like Us Do Things Like This. And so the first episode today is all about being a go-giver. Now, if you're familiar with the term, you'll be familiar with the work of Bob Berg. Um, thoroughly nice chap, the original go-giver. He's basically the author of the book with the same name, um, which he wrote with his co-author, John David Mann. And it's been a very influential book, certainly in my life. Um, very interesting story, very easily digestible messages. And I had the opportunity to have a conversation with him and ask him a little bit about not just the, the ideas that are covered in the Go-Giver philosophy, but more about where the idea came from and the big ideas covered in his latest book, which is The Go-Giver Influencer. Um, it was a real pleasure having a conversation with him. I tried not to be all fanboy because it was, <laughs> it was very kind of weird talking to somebody uh, um, who you've only ever heard in an audio book, so you're very familiar with, the, with their kind of tone of voice. So um, enjoy the interview and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome, Bob Burke. Thank you, Neil. It's so great to be with you. I know we've got um, this, uh, the new book, uh, The Go-Giver Influencer, which is it's going to be, it's literally from today's recording, it's going to be launched to the world in 10 days' time. But I'd like to take a step back, if I may, and, and focus a little bit of attention on The Go-Giver itself. And sure. for our listeners, perhaps, could you give us a little bit of an idea of, of the inspiration behind The Go-Giver and the movement that it subsequently spawned? Sure. Well, it's a it's a business parable, so it's a short story. It's fictional, but there's a lot in there that has happened to either myself or to John, David Mann, my co-author. And John is really the lead writer and storyteller. He's a fantastic storyteller. And um, and it's really – it's about a, a young man who's upcoming and he's aggressive and he's ambitious. And he's a good guy, but his, his focus is really so much on himself – that it, it takes him away from being anywhere near as successful as he, as he could be. And he doesn't realize that's the issue. So he meets, uh, he meets some different people and he kind of learns that when you can shift your focus, when you can move from an I focus or me focus to an other focus, looking for ways to add value to the marketplace, value to others. Not only is that a, a more fulfilling way to do business, it's actually the most financially profitable way to do business as well. Okay. And so as somebody who's read the book uh, or listened to it and read it a number of times, I'm quite familiar with the characters. Um, 
Can I ask, was this idea to write a business parable first, or had you formed the idea of the, the laws of stratospheric success first, and then crafted a story around it? Well, it's interesting because about 20 years earlier, no, not 20, about 15 years earlier than that, I had a book out called Endless Referrals, Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales, which was a, a traditional how-to book. And it was for people who, uh, they were in business, they were either in sales or they were an entrepreneur and they, they believe in their product or service and so forth, but they had trouble meeting new people and building relationships and, and so forth. And the basic premise of, of that book was that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. So that had been out for a long time. Um, Throughout the years, Neil, I'd read a lot of business parables, and I always love them. Yeah, I think with stories, as you know, you're an expert in that. Stories connect. They connect on a heart level. And when you connect on that level, then you can make your point, and it's it's more easily accepted. And so I, I kind of thought, wouldn't it be neat if we could take that no like, and trust premise of, of endless referrals and turn that into a parable with a set of laws built around that? And, uh, and so, uh, you know, so my question was, well, what's the, the essence of building that no like, and trust relationship? You're always giving, you're giving value to others. You're, you're looking to make other people's lives better, more successful, uh, happier, what, whatever it is, however you, uh, individually add that value through what you do. And so, uh, then I asked John, uh, so we came up with the name of the go giver and, um, and then I asked John to co-author it with me and, and so forth. And we kind of developed the, we named the law together. Some of them we had in advance. We knew we were going to go with the law of value, the law of compensation. We knew influence was a big thing, though we didn't have that name. But then the last two, I think, kind of wrote, they began to write themselves. We always joke about that, that as we go back and forth and so forth, uh, the, the, the story and the, the laws themselves almost sort of wrote themselves, named themselves, but they were always based on principles that, you know, we had both studied for years and years and lived. He was, he's an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. We both got to meet and speak with and learn from and, and, uh, so forth and learn what works, what doesn't and so forth. And that, so that's really how that, that came about. So it's sort of a little bit of a hybrid in that regard. Okay. And then you, you touched on this idea about the, the, the connecting power of stories. Um, now, the, the, I suppose the business parable aspect of the go-giver that I as an individual found so appealing. And I know that there are other books. There's one in particular that I reference often, which is John Warrillow's Built to Sell. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a great book. Again, John's, John's fantastic. Yes, indeed. And it's, it's, um, it's a fantastic, um, it's a kind of fantastic guide because I've met a lot of, um, business owners and entrepreneurs who say, right, my, my goal is to, to build it up and then sell it. And then I say, well, go and read this book because unless you've got a system and a process, you've got nothing to sell. Yeah. I thought he made it so clear through that story. You could, you could imagine yourself doing it, which is a sign of a great, you know, story. So you could picture yourself being in that story. I thought he did a magnificent job. Mm. So it's like, are there other, are there other business parables that you, you kind of see on, on a par with the go-giver and the go-giver subsequent leader and, Soon to be released influencer. Oh, I mean, I think there's so many great parables out there. I really do. And I mean, I think the first one I ever read, uh, which was, was, um, Ogmandino's greatest salesman in the world, which I thought was fantastic. And, and, uh, 
you know, in the early 80s or late 70s, I don't recall, there was that whole one-minute series by doctors Ken Blanchard and Spencer Johnson, the one-minute manager, one-minute salesperson, one-minute apology. And, uh, of course, there are parables such as, um, uh, oh, goodness gracious, I'm trying to think, the uh, Paulo Coelho, uh, the alchemist, mm-hmm. and you've got all these other great parables. I, there's so many out there, and I just, they're wonderful. And I just, you know, to me, you can read them whether it's on a plane or whether you're having a cup of coffee and sitting back and reading. And and these are all lessons you can just learn so much from. Mm. So I'm I'm a big fan of so many uh, parable authors. Mm. And I think it's 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 a fantastic way of absorbing the information um, in a narrative form. Um, now it spawned a it spawned a, a global movement. Did you imagine that it would gain traction like this when you started writing it? Is that was was that front of mind when you first started? I think that we we felt there was going to be a market for this book. Uh, we were we were pretty confident it was going to be a successful book. Uh, I don't think we ever thought it was going to take off as it did, uh, and really, as you said, kind of just spur a, a movement. And, and um, so that was, that was a pleasant surprise. The interesting thing I believe is that the early adapters or early adopters of the book were not the people who needed it. It was the people who'd always been living their lives and conducting their businesses that way. We heard from so many CEOs, uh, direct sales leaders, different people, uh, entrepreneurs who were already very, very successful, who picked up the book and said, yes, this is exactly what I do. And this is what I've been trying to teach others. And that others didn't believe you could actually make a great living by focusing on bringing value to others, even though that's exactly what the free market basically is. When no one's forced to buy from anyone else, they're only going to buy from someone because they believe they're going to be better off by doing so. As a result, doesn't it make sense that if you want to sell more, you have got to take your focus off yourself and find ways to communicate to them that they are benefiting Mm. From buying from you. It just works out so perfectly. This is why we say that money is simply an echo of value, right? It's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which means nothing more than that the value must come first. And the money you receive is a very natural and very direct and sometimes indirect result of the value you provide. These people, the early adopters, began to share the book, buy the book for promote the book to others. And then the second wave of adopters were the people we'd hear from email who said on email who'd say, I never knew you could do business like this before. My business was really suffering and with the downturn economically it was getting worse. And I I I discovered your book and saw that what I need to do is focus on how I can right and all of a sudden my business is taking off. Well though that was great because it was the early adopters who were already successful who basically paved the way for this message. And so now, um, it's 20, is it 20 years or 10? It's about, ten, about 10, 10 years, years since, I, since I first read it. That's right. Yeah. Cause it's just, um, oh, okay. Yeah. 10th anniversary. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 10th anniversary mm-hmm. just last November. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. December. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking about, um, it's probably about eight years since I first discovered it. Um, a quick, uh, quick name check to Siraj Shoda, um, for, for sharing the, the book with me. In I the first love Siraj. Yeah. He is great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And so he was Saran, per, just a oh, you know him. fantastic guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, brilliant. And, oh, yeah. Um, Siraj and I have known each other for, for about that long. Yeah. Well, there we go. It's, it, uh, it's like it's almost come full circle. Um, yeah. And so 
obviously it's something that, that I revisit regularly and I always take stuff from it each time I listen to it. Um, do you think, and now with the, the new book, the, the Go-Giver Influencer, it's a timely, it's, it's a good time for this to be out there? Mm, yeah, yeah, I really do. I, you know, on, on one hand, influences has always been important because influence, which on a very basic level is the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal and nothing happens unless people move on an idea, right? You can have the greatest invention, which could help humankind totally. But if that inventor is not able to uh, influence others that it's a value, nothing's going to happen. So influence has always been important. But I think now where we have so much more one-to-one, the, the top-down kind of control thing is, has gone by the wayside. It's much more of a, of a horizontal uh, influence type of situation now. And I also think that, and, and at least here in the States, we have a lot of communication that's less than positive when people are discussing either political ideas or other ideas and you'll have Facebook discussions and Twitter discussions and in-person discussions and people are kind of insulting each other and uh, it's it's kind of a turn into a nasty type of thing and but what people are not doing Neil is they're not influencing other people you know if it, you you don't insult someone's integrity. You don't insult their personhood. You don't, you don't speak in terms of ways that, that, that seem to, uh, imply that they're evil, okay, for having the beliefs they have and think you're going to change this person. Mm. No, all you're going to do is get them to not like you more yeah. and to hold their position even more. And that's what we're seeing a lot of. Mm -hmm. And so what we're really trying to do is show people that you can, you, that, see that tact does not need to be confused, should never be confused with compromise. Okay. We can always speak tactfully to people, respectfully to people, kindly to people without compromising our values. And understanding how to do that is not only going to open up other people to actual productive dialogue, but the other people who are watching this, who maybe aren't so totally set in their minds that they can't be changed, they're watching and they're looking to see who's making the most cogent points, sure, but who is also handling themselves in such a manner that is worthy of respect. Mm. I mean, this kind of leads, it's kind of, it's going into that kind of whole concept of cognitive bias and, and confirmation bias and how the, our social media feeds have created these echo chambers for us to only hear back the stuff oh. that agrees with us. And, um, both kind of culturally, um, I'd like to not, I don't want to kind of get too kind of bogged down into kind of the, the political state, but, it's very easy to kind of be, appear very divisive. Um, the impression from the outside is that America's a nation divided. Um, here in Britain, um, there is this, there's essentially a nation divided. Um, but the ideas that, that come around, come through in the Go Giver series, it's about value. And as you're just saying about connecting with people and, and being respectful of their opinions, but you're not going to make somebody change their mind by beating them down, are you? 
No, you're certainly not. Just the opposite. Confirmation bias will set in even more when someone, because they'll, what, 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 what is confirmation bias? It's just what it says. That the information you come across confirms what you already believe, your biases. And often they're unconscious biases. Mm. Okay. So we, what we do is we ignore that information which doesn't confirm our biases and we accept everything that does. So when someone on the other side of that divide says something horrible and insulting or, or offensive. Well, that just confirms our bias. Those people are evil, mm. right? Oh, they don't know, right? <laughs> and so, and so, and, and so the, not only is that not helpful, but everyone else who's watching, who's kind of lurking and, and looking to see where the conversation's going to go, they're certainly not going to respond well to someone who's mean and nasty and acts ugly and act right. No, so, so we we need to know that we're that while we want to influence and persuade, you know, anyone obviously who we would like to see have a different opinion, that's not always going to happen, even if we do it correctly. Mm. But what it will do is it will open up to dialogue, and it will it will uh, influence others who can be persuaded because you know most people aren't either here or here yeah. most people are either somewhere in the middle or a little bit to this side or a little bit to that side and they can be influenced that's they really can good be point. persuaded the default state is one of ambivalence it's not people are either going to love it or hate it it's like they have no they, they have no thoughts about it and it's when they meet and hear you that they make a decision whether they go that way or that way um, right. Most people aren't as invested in the thing yes. as the people who are really invested in the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'd like to, if I may, move on to the, the latest installment, um, The Go-Giver Influencer. How would you define influence um, versus manipulation? Because at, in, in, our, in our culture at the moment with social media, influencer marketing is is a thing. Um it escapes me personally, but if, um, what's it called, Kylie Jenner wears a particular brand of makeup um, and says, I wear this brand of makeup, sales shoot up. Um, <laughs> that's always been, though. That's always been, aver- that's always been advertised. They always had celebrities, uh, you know. Yes. Uh, selling uh, aspirin, yeah. you know. I mean, that, that's always, this is just a different medium. And so in terms yeah. of, in terms of as, as you see it, kind of the stance oh, you've taken of influence in the manipul- book, how do you differentiate mm-hmm. that if somebody says, well, for manipulation? Well, okay. So, so let's, let's take influence, okay, which in a sense, again, is the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal, whether it's Kylie Jenner and some, what did you say, shoes makeup. or, or yeah. <laughs> makeup or whatever. Uh, yeah, or some other celebrity Selling something out. Okay. That, so they're trying to move people to a desired action. Influence can be divided into two ways. There are two basic ways to influence through manipulation, which is negative, or persuasion, which is positive. Now, here's the thing. Influence is a principle. It's a universal law. Okay. Like gravity. Is gravity good or bad? Well, it depends on the situation. It's good when it keeps us from floating aimlessly up into space. <laughs> it's bad when we walk off a seven-story building. Yeah. Okay. It's the same with influence. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. How it's utilized is good or bad. Okay. Uh, you could say, you know, 
People who can influence, who can be a manipulator, could be a persuader. Uh, they both understand human nature, what motivates others, what drives others, what's much more likely to move them. But there's a very – you could say they're cousins, mm -hmm. but one's the good cousin and one's the evil cousin, yeah. right? Persuasion is good. It's positive. It's win-win. Manipulation is bad. It's lose – it's it's win-lose. I think the difference was – was described beautifully by a, a gentleman by the name of Paul W. Sweats in a book he wrote published back in 1987. Uh, and the name of the book was The Art of Talking So That People Will Listen. Mm -hmm. Though it was much more about listening yeah. as, as opposed to talking, but it was a wonderful book. And here's how he described it. I thought this was just beautiful. He wrote, per, uh, manipulation aims at control, not cooperation. It does not consider the good of the other party. It results in a win-lose situation. In direct contrast to the manipulator, he writes, the persuader always seeks to enhance the self-esteem and the position of the other party. The result is that people respond better because they're treated as responsible, response-able, mm -hmm. self-directing individuals. So, you know, Neil, it's not that a manipulator will necessarily try to hurt another person. It's just that if that's what it takes to get what they want, they'll do it because it's all about them. Yeah. Okay. With a persuader, that could never happen because in order for a persuader to feel good about themselves and about the situation, they've got to know that the other person also came, came out ahead, that the other person also won, that the other person feels good about themselves. That's why we say a manipulator can have employees, but not usually a loyal team. A manipulator can make a sale, but have very few return customers or happy customers and very rarely ever, re ever referrals. Hey, a manipulator can have a family who they love and who loves them, but very rarely a happy functional family. So manipulation can get you what you want in the present sometimes, not always, but sometimes, but not the future. Persuasion can get you the results you want both in the present and in the future. Because once you've been persuaded, you feel great about that person. Because, again, both parties come out ahead. Mm -hmm. So in, in our kind of 21st century culture, who do you see as kind of beacons of this virtue? Who do you think are, who are good persuaders in your mind? Do you think um, Elon Musk is a good persuader as a, as a kind of a pop culture character? Uh, I don't know that much about him other than, you know, some of the things that he's done, but he seems to be, mm. you know, <laughs> you, you don't, you don't get to where he is as sustainably as he is because he's had many successes yeah. uh, and he has had a bunch of failures, but always has people jumping back on board with them. Yeah, so that's a good absolutely. persuader. Yeah. Uh, Richard Branson's a good persuader. Um uh, Bob Chapman, who, who's the chairman and CEO of, uh, Barry Waymiller, a humongous manufacturing company, uh, all over the world. Wonderful persuader. He has teams of tens of thousands of people who, uh, and he is loved in his company, but it's not just that. They are a highly profitable company. Mm. Again, we do, we don't want people to ever think that by being this way, that that weakens you. That should never be confused with with weakness. Mm. When you influence and you persuade the right way, 
that's strength. Yeah. Influencers and persuaders do things the right way and get the best results. Do manipulators ever win? Of course they do. It's a big world. There's yeah. always, but they tend to win not because they're manipulators. Right. They tend to win in spite of that. Mm-hmm. It, t- because they have maybe some other strength that just they're able to, you know, but uh, a lot of times they come crashing down hard when they do crash, and a lot of times they don't have success in other more personal areas of their lives. Mm. So I'd like to ask one final question, if I may, um, because it's sure. been fascinating hearing your, 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 your story and your take on this. Um, you say that there's one motivating factor shared by everybody on this earth in the book. What, what is it? Yeah, because we're all individuals, right? So how can there be one real motivating factor? Exactly. And, and, uh, yeah. And I learned this from a, a man by the name of, uh, Harry Brown, who, uh, who's, uh, the late Harry Brown, who, uh, was a mentor of mine years ago. Um, and what Harry said was that everyone seeks happiness. Ultimately, that's not, he said, in all other ways, because he was very much an individualist, in all other ways, he said, people are different. Absolutely. But the one commonality to every human being is that ultimately, we all seek happiness. Now, happiness being described as the mental feeling of well-being. Okay? So we all seek happiness. But there are also two other aspects of that. We all seek happiness, number one. Number two Happiness is relative. What, what cause, you know, what causes happiness for one person, what brings one person happiness would be absolutely meaningless to someone else or might even cause them unhappiness. So while we all seek happiness, happiness is an individual thing. And we need to realize that what makes us happy isn't necessarily going to make someone else happy. Why is that important as an influencer? Because remember, as Dale Carnegie wrote in his famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, ultimately people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. So the great influencer must ask themselves, how does what I'm asking this other person to do, how does it uh, align with their goals, their wants, their needs, their desires, their values yeah okay and then three the third point because he said harry said everyone seeks happiness happiness is relative the third point is resources are limited now that's not to say uh, that's not to talk about a lack mentality of course we live in a very abundant universe but individually uh, we all have a limited amount of time of money of uh, knowledge of uh, energy of yeah so we're always having to make choices Every set, right? We're making choices all the time, unconsciously. But every choice we make is is based on do we ultimately believe it will bring us closer to happiness based on how we value happiness or value that particular thing and within the limited number of choices we believe we have. And if we understand this about human nature, because that's really a summation of human nature, if we understand this about human nature, now we understand that in order to be a good influencer, it's absolutely imperative to take the focus off ourself and place it on the other person. Absolutely. And that's a fantastic message to, to kind of round it off. Um, it's a fascinating book. Um, a worthy successor to Go-Giver and the Go-Giver Leader. Um, it's launching on the 10th of April. You can get it 
Oh, well, I'm not telling you. I'm telling our listeners, obviously, <laughs> that you can access the. Am I right in thinking this, Bob? That they can get the first two chapters for free, download yeah. from thegogiver.com. Yes, and check it out and see if you like it, and then you'll be able to buy it from wherever you buy good books, or whether wherever you buy your books from. Um, some people absolutely. might not go to good booksellers. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's been absolutely fantastic to 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 meet you and speak with you, Bob. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Oh, thank you. Long may the go-giver movement continue. It's very much of its time still. Thank you. Well, I thank people like you who are a big part of that go-giver movement. And, and uh, believe me, John and I and everyone at Team Go-Giver, we just appreciate you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I enjoyed interviewing Bob Berg, what a thoroughly lovely chap. And one thing that I should say, that even after after going through the recording, he even sent me a letter afterwards, like a handwritten postcard, just to say thank you for having him as a guest. Um, if you haven't done so already, I highly recommend you check out uh, the books um, in the series, obviously The Go-Giver, The Go-Giver Manager, and The Go-Giver Influencer. It's uh, the Go-Giver Influencer. There is, a, obviously, as he said, there's a section available for free to download from the website. There may hopefully be more of these kind of episodes. Um, hopefully, if you've enjoyed it, if you want to ask any questions, or if you want to connect with me, maybe an idea for a future episode, please get in touch. Um, I've no idea how you can. I'm sure I'll find out. <laughs> it's a bit vague this way. But... Um, Until the next time, I will be and continue to be Neil. And don't forget, people like us do things like this.